musicians and singer. Hallelujah. We appreciate your uh, ministry uh, this morning. Hallelujah. As you know, it is Mother's Day, and we do want to take time to uh, acknowledge and bless all of our mothers this morning, and um, we have a gift for you, and we will give that to you in a moment. I, I do have one request, please, uh, just a gift for you. Uh, it cannot be a gift for you and five other mothers who happen not to come. And uh, uh, there are a lot of mothers in this world, and we can't do that. And so just take that for you. If someone can't come, then they couldn't come. And, and if you'll uh, help us that way, we want to make sure everybody here uh, gets one. And so I want to, first of all, uh, we want to do it this way this morning. And, and that is, do we have any great, great grandmothers here this morning? And if you, if you are, would you please stand? We want to acknowledge you. You're a great, great grandmother. Wow. Hallelujah. 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 Leonor Tenstein Margarita. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Do we have any great grandmothers here this morning? I'd like you to stand. Great grandmothers. Hallelujah. Wow. Wonderful. Do we have any grandmothers here this morning? We'd like you to stand. How many remember when we used to do this back when we were on Zarzamora and there'd be one grandma? Oh, stay standing. Don't sit down. Stay standing. We did this on Zarzamora, we'd have a couple of grandmothers. Remember that? Hallelujah. And let's have our mothers all stand with them, please. What an awesome, awesome presentation. I'd like to have these young people right now start distributing these gifts. Please stay standing while they receive your gift. And as they do, I want to read you a poem. And then we're going to have some special music. And then I'm going to minister to you uh, this morning from the word of God. And so they're going to give you this gift. And I want to read this poem to you. It says, God could not be in every place with loving hands to help erase the teardrops from each baby's face. So we thought of mother. He could not send us here alone, he, and amen. Should have had Pastor Gordon come and do this. And leave us to a fate unknown without providing for his own the outstretched arms of mother. God could not watch us night and day. Kneel beside our crib to pray or kiss our little eggs away, so he sent us mother. And when our childhood days began, he simply could not take command. That's why he placed our tiny hands securely in the mother's. The days of youth slipped quickly by, life's sun rose higher in the sky. Full grown we were, yet ever hot and nigh to love us still with mother. When life's span of years shall end, I know that God will gladly send to welcome home her child again, that ever faithful mother. You know, ladies, I want to encourage you to be a godly woman. Your influence on your children's lives is beyond what you understand. Sometimes they get a little older, your kids are adults, they have their own lives. And a lot of times a mother can begin to feel irrelevant. A mother can feel like you're not important. You can feel unappreciated. But I want to tell you something, Mom, from someone who knows. Your influence is way beyond what you will ever measure in your kids' lives. Oh, they may not call you as often as they should. They may not always do what you would like. But your soul, your spirit, your passion is so deeply ingrained in them 
they'll never forget you. We love you and we appreciate you. God bless you. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm moving to the rhythm of your grace Your fragrance is intoxicating In the secret place And your love Is extravagant Your friendship I'm moving to the rhythm of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in the secret place. And your love is extravagant. Spread out wide in the
I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 4 this morning. And uh, I want to uh, uh, speak today on Mother's Day, but I am not really speaking to just mothers. I'm speaking to women. Because the last time I checked, every mother was one. And, uh, and I, but I want to I talk to you about something that I've been thinking about for some time. And uh, I have, over the last few years, uh, spent a lot of time thinking about the nation of China. Please be praying uh, for our workers there in China as the government has ratcheted up their, uh, their assault uh, recently against our fellowship there. Uh, everybody's safe and fine, but there, uh, is a, you know, there, there are definitely things going on. So please, please pray. China, about uh, in the early 70s, instituted a one-child policy. The reason they did that is at the time, it was Mao Zedong was the leader. The, it was a, it's a totalitarian state, and if you read about Mao Zedong when he was the uh, leader of China, he, he just would issue edicts that he never thought about the consequences of, of his decisions, and that led to a lot of tragedy in China. And so uh, they began to grow, the nation began to grow and was rapidly becoming the most populated nation on earth. They were projecting a billion people there. And so they issued an edict, you're only allowed to have one child. And this was supposed to prevent this population bomb from exploding. And so the law of unintended consequences took place. Most of China at the time were, were, was agriculture, these were farmers. These, uh, if you know anything about farming, you know uh, that you need a lot of laborers, and those laborers were generally your children. And so the key was to have as many children as you can to help build the farm. And so uh, what happened is they said only one child. Uh, and so what, in the early days, a woman would bear a child, and if it was a girl, they would just kill it and have another one. And so this began to go on, and then as technology improved so that they could determine the uh, gender of the baby in the womb, they would just simply abort all the females, and that goes on till this day. So today, presently in China, they are in need of 30 million brides. I said, I'm going to say that, and some girl's going to stick her head up, huh? And uh, they need 30 million brides right now in China. Sis, don't do it. In some parts of China, there are 140 men for every 100 women. And sociologists are now wondering, what is this going to generate in China where you have far more single men than women in China, or there are going to be a lot of single men, millions and millions, uh, tens of millions of men with no eligible women to marry, and they're wondering what it's going to produce. I'll tell you what it's going to produce. First of all, it's going to produce homosexuality. The second thing it's going to produce is a war, because a surplus of men has always produced a war. It's called thinning the herd. And so uh, it does not pretend well for China, and, and, uh, the, the, and this is a result of the aborting of so many little baby girls. So today in China, when you drive down the road, particularly in rural China, the government has introduced an advertising campaign to try to change the way people think because they keep aborting the girls. And so they have signs all over China that say, save the girls. Now, it's their policy that has triggered this, this tragedy. But now uh, they're, they're, they're like, well, we're going to have this advertising campaign Save the girls. Here in America, we listen to this and we say, those backward Chinese, what a terrible thing they did, and indeed it is terrible. But I want you to consider this. In our country, recently our Pentagon decided that it would be okay and acceptable for women now to be in frontline combat. They did this not because of any strategic or tactical reason. They did it because uh, uh, feminists um, in, uh, in uh, America have decided to use our, our, our military uh, as a social experiment. 
And so uh, women who believed they were, could not get certain promotions because they weren't in frontline uh, combat duty, uh, uh, pressed and pressed them. And so for the first time, our nation has said uh, that when we go to war, not only will we send our sons uh, into the front line, but we will send our daughters to fight them. Not because there's not men who could do the job, but because in the name of equality, instead of men going to war to protect the women in our nation, we are now putting our women on the front line. I want to preach a sermon this morning called Save the Girls. I want to talk to you today about protecting women. From the word of God. And I have a question for you. Should a society feel responsible to protect its women? Isaiah 4, verse 1. I want you to listen to this terrible prophecy and wonderful promise. In that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped and it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion that remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will recreate above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For, all, for over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Save the girls. Father, I pray this morning for anointing. Father, I pray that your heart and your love, oh God, for women, God, will be demonstrated, God, in our understanding today. I pray that you will be a covering, you will be a shelter, you will be a refuge for every woman here. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. I want to begin and talk about saving the girls this morning. And so I want you to think about what the Bible is teaching us, because we have in this prophecy of Isaiah a coming judgment on the nation of Israel and it is a result of their disobedience and their compromise. But what makes this prophecy unique uh, is that there's an unusual focus on the judgment of women. Most Bible commentators will tell you that verse 1 of chapter 4 should have been included um, in chapter 3. Remember, Chapter breaks were not in the Bible. Those were added later by men. And uh, when they made this chapter break, they, I think they made a mistake. And they should have extended uh, chapter 3, one more verse to include verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, and it's referring to a terrible judgment that was going to fall. Um, but it was going to fall particularly hard on um, it's women. In chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, not H-O-T-T-Y. And walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling feet with their, with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with the scab uh, the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. I mean, this is a wicked uh, 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 prophecy, um, and it was aimed at um, these women, um, and the Bible says they had become haughty. Um, it literally means they have exalted themselves. Uh, they have tried to rise to the top, uh, and what is fascinating when you study the word haughty in the Hebrew is actually a masculine term. The idea there is that what began to happen as the men of this nation began to compromise and disobey, something began to happen to the women of this generation. They began to rise up, they began to extend themselves, and they began to embrace a certain kind of a, of a, of a masculinity, or they began to step into arenas they didn't belong in. The end result was a horrible judgment that fell on that nation, and particularly 
on the women. And the prophecy concludes with the words, in that day seven women will take hold of one man, saying we will eat our own food, wear our own clothing, let us be called by your name, take away our reproach. What they believe was referring to here is that a battle would take place where so many men died that there were now far more women than men and it triggered a panic. And these women who at one time were exalting themselves, who were haughty and prideful. One translation says the women of Zion are stuck up that when this began to take place, it's like their eyes were open and they felt uncovered, unprotected, and they were now desperately looking for a man that's the bible picture here this morning and so let me speak for a minute about divine order if you're going to get anywhere today um, i'm going to help you understand that i'm using the bible as my reference today and not time magazine and certainly not cosmopolitan magazine and the bible says that god created them male and female there is a difference between men and women. Uh, come on, somebody help me out and say amen this morning. Amen. Men and women are different emotionally. Men and women are different spiritually. Men and women are different physically. They have a different function and they are there to fulfill a different purpose. Um, and when men and women understand that, I am not a man. Ladies, can I help you this morning? You are not a man. You were not born a man. You are not a man trapped in a woman's body. If you're a man, you are not a woman. You don't have a feminine side. In the beginning, he created them male and female, and there was a function and a purpose uh, for the man and for the woman. There was a certain role the man had. There was a certain role the woman had. If the man would do what he's supposed to do and she did what she's supposed to do, then you would have order in their lives and therefore in society. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives and let the wife see that she respect her husband, that there was a dynamic, and this dynamic was that a man would lead his home, uh, and through leadership, uh, he would cover and protect her, and in that covering and protection, uh, she would flourish, uh, and as she flourished, she would be a blessing to mankind. Somebody wrote the words, woman was made from the rib of man. She was not created from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be stepped on by him. She was made from his side to be close to him, from beneath his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. That there was a divine order that God established. Uh, there was the role of the man and the role of the woman, and the plan was uh, that a man, as he would cover and protect his wife, there would be a safety. Uh, but I want to tell you, we are living in a society where women are no longer safe. Sadly, this has been lost, just as our scripture prophesied. A season of prosperity had caused this nation to become arrogant and prideful. They began to reject God's order. It began to permeate not just among the men, but among the women, to the point where the women think we don't need the men. And ultimately, they lost sight of God. And there's a lesson for our present day, because I believe we are living in a similar time. It was Gloria Steinem, the, the uh, famous uh, uh, feminist of the 1960s that said, women need men like a fish need a bicycle. That men are irrelevant. They're not necessary anymore. I don't really need them. And I want you to think about some things that I'm going to raise this morning that we are, we are living in a time where there are many women who do not think they need a man. There are whole uh, demographics in society where women no longer marry because what's the point of getting married? I can get my own job. I can learn judo. I don't really need a man. Why should I marry a man that's going to cheat on me and look at pornography and burn me and rip me off? I can do this all myself. I mean, that's the way a lot of women think. They don't trust men. We are living in the age today where uh, uh, many of our government leaders are, are uh, mannish women, uh, people like Janet Napolitano uh, uh, and that foster the ideas, you know, we need to get women like her and Hillary and these mannish uh, uh, women uh, in charge because they're not going to have the weaknesses, the failings of all these men who run around committing adultery all the time, running off with their interns. And so we put these kind of women in there because they, they act and look like men, but they're women. 
And all the while, what's happening more and more in our society, folks, and you better pay attention, is that women are being made vulnerable. And they're not being protected. We are living in the age where the feminist says women have the right to abort. Consequently, millions and millions and millions of more little girls are being aborted than boys. Because the women's movement says we need to have abortion. Have you picked up the irony in that yet? I read a book called China Road. If you're a reader, I recommend you read it. It'll give you a burden for China. In this book, this man, he is a writer from NPR, spent, I think, 10 years in China, and he was getting ready to be reassigned to London. And so his last journey is to take a, a journey from Shanghai straight west all the way to Kazakhstan, and he's going to take the main road, it'd be like the Route 66 of China, and he just writes about his experiences along this road. It's an outstanding book as he weaves in Chinese history. But he tells this, I want to read you this paragraph if you'll indulge me. Because this man uh, went to China. His love of China came from reading the life of Hudson Taylor. He had a powerful gospel experience as a young man. And he's, and he, he's in, in a dusty little bus. He went by hitchhiking and just taking a bus as a 3,000-mile trip. And he talks about being on a bus, and he's sitting there, and onto the bus comes a middle-aged woman with two young nurses. She's a doctor. And as he begins to overhear her conversation, he speaks Chinese, he realizes she's an abortion doctor, and her job is to carry out the mandate, the one-child-only policy. And so the government watches, and when a woman turns up pregnant, and they know she's already had a child, the government gets involved. And so he begins to have a conversation with her, and I want you to listen to this conversation this morning. Remember, we're talking about saving the girls. He says, so you're a doctor? Yes, she says, I'm in charge of family planning in this county. And you travel around enforcing the one-child policy? Yes. It is, he's talking now, he says, it's dawning on me what her job involves. Traveling with her are two young nurses, probably in their late 20s or early 30s. So you travel around giving women checkups? I ease gently toward the questions I really want to ask. Yes, that's where we're going now. And what happens if you find that there are women who are pregnant who shouldn't be pregnant? She responds, we try to persuade them to have an abortion. And if they don't agree, we have to force them, she says, pausing slightly. You know, there are too many Chinese people. But how do you force them? What if they won't go? There is a department of the police in each town or county that enforces the family planning laws they go to the woman's house, and if she will not come voluntarily, she is taken to the clinic by force. This book was written five years ago. We are living in a society, folks, where women are more unprotected than they've ever been. We're living in a time where nations, this is how they function. Any woman here on Mother's Day can imagine a state, the power of a state, going to your home and dragging you to a clinic. And that happens today. The scripture said, listen, there's going to come a time where women are going to feel so unprotected. I want to talk to you about our responsibility. Does a society have a responsibility to protect its women? Because this is the issue this morning, and it is a profound consideration. The word of God is clear. The Bible is not misogynist. What I mean by that is the Bible doesn't hate women. The Bible is not chauvinistic, as some would have you believe. I know that there are people who think, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, if you believe the Bible, you're going to go back to the days of the Neanderthals. All, all Christians want is for you to be barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. The truth is absolutely the opposite. When you read the Bible, you find that God shows a great deal of care and consideration for women. Song of Solomon says, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. The Bible says, give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. 
I mean, we think of the word pictures there. Here is a garden that is to be cultivated and protected and a wall is to be built around. And that in that setting, she's allowed to flourish because she's safe, she's protected, she's secure. Peter takes this in the New Testament, give honor to the wife. I preached a sermon years ago here called The Pedestal and the idea that men should have their wives on a pedestal. Come on, ladies, help me out here. Is that true or not? I use the illustration that, you know, when you walk into a, a nice home or you walk into a nice hotel, they always have something featured in that home. It's the pedestal. It's the, some, some, maybe might be a beautiful flower arrangement. It might be some, uh, uh, some ancient uh, heirloom. But it, it's just like, and it's their way of saying, this is the most important piece in this building or in this house. The Bible says that to a man, when somebody, if somebody were able to walk into your heart and look around it like a chamber, that they should see your wife elevated in that place. Give honor to her as a weaker vessel. In other words, she needs to be protected. That's what it means, weaker. It means that God's heart for women is that they're protected. Save the girls. I'm going to read you an interesting scripture. I want all the young women to listen to me this morning. Numbers 30, verse 3 says, When a woman makes a vow to God and binds her, uh, herself by a pledge as a young girl still living in her father's house, and her father hears of her vow or pledge, but says nothing to her, then she has to make good on all her vows and pledges. But if her father holds her back when he hears of what she has done, none of her vows and pledges are valid. God will release her since her father held her back. Think about this. Here's the imagery. The imagery is you've got a young girl living at home. And she begins to make commitments. Her father finds out that she did this, and he says, oh, no, you didn't. And then he steps in and says, no, no, you're not doing that. God says the father has the right to overrule the vows that the daughter's made. Oh, that's Old Testament. Do you catch the image, though? You think that this is, oh, I, I, you know, I, I'm preaching this and I'm not going to stop it. I feel some of you you're like, <sighs> why, why, why would God institute that statute? It's called protection. It's there so that that young girl is protected from her own emotions from her ability to be so wound up and so caught up that she begins to fall into things and it is a father whose function is a protector from herself, from her own emotions. I would say to every young girl here, young lady, you ought to not hate that, you ought to thank God that God wants to save the girls. Have you ever seen a little 14-year-old girl who's already out running loose, man? And you think, where are the father? Where's the father here? Supposed to step in and say, no, no, you're not doing that. The problem today is that you have so many little girls who've caught, caught up. You know, they've met somebody on Facebook or, or oh, whatever the latest software is, uh, and, the, and they're off, and they've got their little phone, and, they're, and, 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 and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are the fathers? And little girl, I'll say something to you this morning. You need protection. And if unfortunately your father's not around, then I suggest uh, that you get close to a family uh, and have some masculine accountability in your life. Somebody that said, no, you're not going to run away with your emotions. You're not thinking straight. You don't see what I see. I don't want you to date Tupac. This requires a conviction this morning. 
If you believe that girls need to be protected, then it means two things. First of all, let me speak to women. Because some of you are swallowing hard right now. You wanted to hear a nice sermon on mom. And now you're, you're having a hard time because the devil said to you, you know what, you don't need any protection. Girlfriend. The lie of the devil is you can have it all. That you can bring home the bacon, you can cook it up in the pan. You can be superwoman uh, who does all this stuff at work, uh, and then you can be super wife and you can be super mom. But if you're honest, you know you can't. That what you end up being is frustrated uh, on your job and your marriage and with your kids. Because the devil has said to you, you don't need a man. You can do anything a man can do. I submit to you, you cannot. You know what really is happening, dear, is the devil's trying to lure you from a place of protection and covering. He's trying to lure you out of that garden. He's trying to take you from that, that place of safety. He wants you to step down willingly off that pedestal. 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived. The woman being deceived fell into transgression. <clears throat> Did you catch the imagery there? She was deceived. She bought it hook, line, and sinker. Adam wasn't deceived. Adam was a rebel. Eve really believed if you ate the fruit, I'm going to be better off. She got caught up. She believed it, and he just lured it out from underneath her covering, and she did it. And there's this lie here that says, you know what, I can do this. I don't need a man. Men are my problems. Men get in my way. A woman can act like a man, but a woman can never act like a gentleman. Think about it. Here's our military. We taught, I talked about this in Sunday school, and we have military men here, and we have front men who are on the front lines here. They all say the same thing. It's unanimous. Anybody who's ever been in frontline combat, these men will tell you the same thing. If I had to go into frontline combat and there was a woman, then I would be protecting her. It is ingrained in me, it is put in me, uh, and if we went together and there was a woman there, then I would naturally consider her safety. Uh, I would not function in my job. I could be out there with my best mate, and we're fighting, and we will just do our job. But if it's a woman, even if I don't even like the woman, there's something in a man's nature that wants me to protect her, and by doing that, I can no longer focus on my job, and now I jeopardize the whole unit. That is, that is the logic, and that was the argument that was made uh, in the Pentagon. Uh, this is going to affect, uh, the, this is going to reach into the effectiveness of our military. Uh, you don't want to do this, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, we're not going, you know, you want to help G.I. Jane, uh, and on and on and on. And, and this, this is the argument, because men say, no, 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 it is ingrained in us. They need to be protected, and it was the women who pushed back and said, we don't need your protection, uh, and somebody went as far as to say we're going to have to reprogram the men to not feel like they need to protect us when I heard that I thought are you out of your mind listen to me dear this morning uh, you do not want to live in a culture where men are reprogrammed and no longer want to protect you the headlines around the world are those three little girls that were kidnapped in Cleveland and held for 10 years that is what happens in a society where men don't protect women. Where a society where men don't protect women means you get raped. If I can put it bluntly to you. And when they say we want to reprogram men so they don't feel this obligation, you do not want to live in that society. And so there's something in a woman that has to say, what am I doing? Why am I always pushing back from covering and protection? Why am I trying to act like I don't need you? 
Because you cannot do this as long as you are keep fighting and resisting any kind of covering. I mentioned years ago, I was in Malaysia preaching and two brothers there, Adam and Alan Asir, great young men. Uh, Alan's the pastor. Adam, uh, 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 one of the brothers in Vietnam and Alan is in um, pastoring the church in Kuala Lumpur. They're Indians. Uh, Malaysia is made up of three distinct groups, the, the Indians, the Chinese, and the Malays. And uh, the Indians have always been kind of the, the, the more oppressed of all the, of the uh, uh, groups there. But I, I, I remember coming home and telling you the story about how when the Japanese occupied Malaysia at the beginning of World War II, that what the Japanese did is they issued an order. I mean, this is just the law. We're here, we're in charge. And the law was that every unmarried woman is going to have to now be uh, turned into a government prostitute for all the Japanese soldiers that are here. It was, that was just, that's the rule. And so they were saying that their grandmother, all what all the women did who weren't married in order to avoid being turned into, uh, you know, be treated this way, ran out and married any guy they could get fined. Exactly what the scripture says. Because if to be unmarried meant that you were going to be taken and then you were going to be misused and abused. And so uh, he said their grandmother, uh, he, says, and he said all these women are very bitter because they married men they didn't love or care about. They married the first guy that came along uh, in order to spare them this horrible fate. This idea that chafes and resists and doesn't like men doesn't understand. Folks, come on now. We have battered women's shelters. We have rape crisis centers. We have teen pregnancy centers. When is our society going to open its eyes and say, you know what, these little girls need some protection? And yet, very often, it is women who, who say, no, nah, we're equal. And all this stuff, you know, it's past rumors because we're not fully equal. And the more equal we're made, we won't have these problems. Let me speak to men. Because I believe the real problem is not women, it's men. I believe feminism is a result of chauvinism. I believe that what happens is that every woman would love to get married and have a good husband and be treated well and would be completely satisfied. But men have so violated so many women, it's like, Psh, I ain't trusting you anymore. Genesis 3.16, your desire, God says to Eve, your desire, this is after the fall, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The New Living Translation says you will desire to control your husband, but he will dominate you. And he describes marriage. A marriage in a fallen world is a woman who wants to control her husband following a man who wants to dominate his wife. Instead of him loving and protecting and providing a level of security that will cause her to flourish, uh, oh, no, no, what you have are men that say, you know, I'm in charge, I'm the man, I'm bigger than you, and if you don't shut up, I'll hit you. with a woman who says, you know what, buddy? Uh, I'm out of here. I don't need you. I'll go get my own job. Uh, I'll have my own money, uh, and uh, we'll just see who survives. Insensitive men who trigger women to reject the traditional roles of marriage. God's word doesn't demean women. It elevates women. Women are special, and they need to be treated with respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Guys, do you remember years ago there was a code of conduct when treating women? You treated women different than men. If, if, if a, a, you know, it used to be in the cowboy days, and you know, I wasn't around, but you can ask Leroy. You could, uh, you, could uh, you know, if a, if a woman came, you'd tip your hat. Leroy's the authority in all things Western. Do you know that it was proper if a woman walked in a room, all the men stood up? 
And then when she left the room, all the men stood up again. You opened the door for them. You opened the door for them. There was a courtesy. If you're, if you're uh, on a cruise boat coming from England to America and you hit an iceberg, uh, then it's women and children first. And I mean, this was in thinking. I remember years ago when, it, when the Titanic movie came out, they were, it was, they were finding out that, you know, it was so popular. The reason why it made so much money is that uh, the girls kept going back and watching. I think the average girl saw it like nine times because of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> because he looked very much like a girl at that time. <laughs> but what was very interesting is they said that the average boy, young man, went six times to see it. And they were thinking, it can't be because of Leonardo DiCaprio. What captured the imagination of young men? And this one writer uh, made the statement, he says, because they were just fascinated by the heroism of the men. It just reached down and touched this generation of cynical boys that there were actually men of means, men of power and authority who just willingly stepped aside knowing they were going to freeze to death and allow these women to be saved. And it just touched this generation of, of all these fatherless boys that, you know, all they'd ever seen is MTV, yo-ho, yo-ho, yo. And, and all of a sudden, they're just looking, at, and they were moved by this idea that women are special and they need to be treated special. And all the idea of tipping the hat and, and opening the door and doing the things that you did was to tell men, these people are different than you. Treat them with respect. Protect them. You know, I don't cuss. I don't cuss. I haven't, started cuss. I haven't cussed since I got saved. I don't believe Christians cuss. But you know what really bothers me when you're in a public place and you see some guy with some girl and he's just dropping, you know, uh, cuss words around. It's like, what are you doing? You're talking to your girlfriend, your wife. You're just dropping. What's the matter with you? Show some respect. You know, I was in Namibia and very interesting. I know I got to hurry up. But I was in Namibia. And they're, they know, you're talking about, you know, a wholly different culture. And so the people come, but all the women there curtsy. So after the church are there, they'll come, you know, and then you know, they're just walking by, you know, God bless you. And, I, and you know, pretty soon I felt like, you know, I, 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 do I do this too, you know? And, and, and it's still in them, that curtsy, that respect. You know, the Bible says that Moses went to go get water at a well, and there were some sisters that came to the well to get water. And some, some men showed up who had no respect for women. Instead of stepping back, let the women get the water from the well, these men came and by force began to push these women around and get the water and just mistreat them. And Moses saw that, and something rose up inside of Moses. Oh, oh you know, just, you, you, you don't disrespect these women. You, know, you don't know these women. They, they've never met. But there's just something about the way these men were treating as women. And the Moses, something rose up in Moses, and the Bible says that he beat these men. And all the girls are like, ah. <laughs> and then one of, the, you know, one of those girls, and he goes, what's your name? <laughs> Zipporah. I'm Moses. You want to get a puppy taco? <laughs> and he ends up marrying her. And I, I, it's no mystery they got married because there was such order there. Here was a woman who allowed herself to be protected and a man who was going to be a protector. And I want to tell you, that's where chemistry comes from. So if you were a dude who wasn't married and said, how can I get married? Go help a damsel in distress. In other words, be a blessing. You know, yeah, let me help you, some, some brother. If you're a single guy and you're wanting to get married, you know, don't put girls down. <laughs> that dress me very, huh? You know, that's not going to work, man. 
You know, throwing spit wads at her is not going to win her heart. <laughs> and if you're a sister here, allow yourself a little vulnerability here. You know what I mean? Don't be so, you know, I got it together. I know more scripture than you. I know Greek and Hebrew. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to have to allow yourself to be protected. I better hurry up. <laughs> Let me close. And I want to speak about a woman's real protection. I want to say to every woman here, there's a place of safety for you, and it's found in God. Because the issue this morning is that there are many, many frustrated women who are trying to be all things to all men. And sometimes it's a result of that men burned you. And you're like, well, Pastor, I understand that, believe me. And I'm not making light of it this morning. But there is a place that you can be secure. I preached a sermon here a few years ago on women in trust on Mother's Day because it was such, it's such a problem today that women, man, they're bound by insecurity and fear. They don't trust. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's only so much that men in your life can do to make you feel secure. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to hear God's word because God stepped in and answered this crisis. And I want to read you verses 5 and 6 again. For over all the glory there shall be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Covering, shade, refuge, shelter. Now remember, the chapter begins with women that are so desperate that they are glad to share one man with six others. And God steps in and says, listen, the desperate cry of your heart to be protected. I will be a covering and a shade, a refuge, a shelter. You can find in God there are women here, you're a single mother. You don't have a husband right now. You have the responsibilities of a child and you're trying to sort that out and, you're, and, and, and you start to feel like, man, what am I supposed to do? I'm here to tell you this morning, there is, a, there is a covering and a shade and a refuge and a shelter for you this morning. There's a pavilion you can hide in. You don't need to be more distant from God. You need to be closer to God. You say, Lord, you know what? I've got to have a prayer. I've, I've got to have this because I need this. I'm not going to act like I don't need a man. I don't need a man. You're going to say, oh, God, I don't have, maybe not have a husband, but oh, God, I need you. And even if I have a husband, oh, God, I need you. I need you to be that shelter and that covering in my life. And I'll leave you with this final point, and that is a woman who discovers God is their refuge is empowered. I'm not here to preach the weak woman this morning. I don't believe it. I'm not here talking about these weak, helpless women. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? No, no, listen to me. While the men were hiding in the upper room, it was the women who were boldly going to the cross, or rather going to the, going to the tomb. And the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus wasn't given to men, it was given to women who were bold enough in the face of the Roman assault to say, you know what, God, we believe you. There's an empowerment, and I just want to leave you with this, China, and I'll finish right here. When this book, China Road, this guy tells this story, he gets to the point, there's a, you know, there's a point where the Great Wall of China ends. And when the Great Wall of China ends, it ends right at the heart of the Gobi Desert. And they built this, they built this huge uh, gate, and in the mind of the Chinese, beyond this gate is where the demons live. There were rumors of monsters. Gobi Desert is a fierce, fierce desert. And so they built the, the wall to that point, and then beyond that wall, it was like sending somebody to hell. In fact, in Chinese uh, government, whenever somebody was banished, they would take them outside this gate and leave them in the desert, and to them, that was hell. That was it. We, it was like damning somebody to hell. And so he's, he finally reaches this point of his journey where he's at the end, and there's still another 1,500 miles of desert. And he's describing this, and then he tells this story I'd never heard about before. 
about a woman named Mildred Cable. Mildred Cable, and she had two friends. They're, 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 they were two sisters. Whose, their last name was French, the French sisters. These women were in their 40s. When they were young women, they had gotten saved in England, and they got a burden for China, and they went to China, and they began to minister in various provinces in China, and then God put it in their heart to leave the cities of China and buy donkey. These women in 1921 traveled beyond the gate into the Gobi Desert and ministered to the desert people in hell. Three middle-aged women and a donkey named Molly. And they began to go, and, he began to, and, and they wrote some of the best historical writings about the people that they met traveling through the Gobi Desert all you know this is where the Silk Road was this is where all sorts of marauders and villains and, and these three middle-aged ladies in their 40s filled with God went there and preached the gospel Marie Monson that's a 21 year old woman went to China and spent 31 years of her life ministering in China in Henan province they call her the mother of the revival that broke out there a generation later you, you know, you read about these women, they were not overbearing, mannish, uh, you know, uh, deep-voiced, uh, you know. They were just they, just, they had a touch of God on their life. And I'm telling you, that my purpose is not to make you feel inadequate and weak. My purpose is here to tell you there's a place you can go, sis. You can touch God, and that can empower you. Not to cast off restraint and protection, to say, you know what, God, you have a plan and you have a purpose for my life. Should bow your heads. Save the girls. Our heads are bowed. I want to ask, first of all, this morning, if there's anybody here, you're not saved, you're not right with God, you're not born again. You need Jesus today. You need forgiveness of sin. You need the blood of the Lamb to cleanse you and make you into a brand new person. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. We live in a world today where that is lying to men and to women, leaving them empty and violated. I'm here to tell you there's hope this morning. That hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while our heads are bowed, if you need prayer, you want to give your life to Christ, say, Pastor Ruby, I'm not right with God. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I need to come to a refuge. I need a shelter in my life. You will find it in the gospel. I'm going to ask you to do something. Just to raise your hand, high where I can see it, and by raising your hand, you're saying, pray for me, Pastor I'm not right with God. I want to give my life to Jesus. Slip up your hand. Put it up high where I can see it. And by raising your hand, you're saying, I, I realize my need for Jesus. Would you pray for me? Slip it up all around this building just for a moment. God's dealing with you today. I need to get right with God. Would you respond with an uplifted hand? All around this building. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. I need Jesus to come into my life. I'm not saved. I'm not born again, but I need Jesus all around this building, I'm going to hold this just for a moment before I move on to other things. I'm not right with God. Maybe you're a backslider. You walked with God at one time, but you're backslidden. Would you pray for me? Lift up your hand. All around this building, I'm going to hold this just for a moment. You're not right with God. Would you respond? Amen. He loves you today. You know, there are some women here, you said, you know what, I'm going to make it on my own. I'm gonna, and, and you've been kicked around, you've been beat down. I'm telling you, God is a protector. And if you will come underneath his protection, he will help you this morning. Anybody else with an uplifted hand? Pastor, I need prayer. I'm not right with God. But I want to come to him this morning. I need his covering and protection over my life. I need his forgiveness. Slip up your hand. Put it up high where I can see it. Would you respond? You know, church, this, eve, this morning, I want us to speak very briefly. Women here today, sis, you have to come to a point where you say, you know what, I need covering and protection in my life. I can't resist it. Get away from me. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. No one's questioning your ability or intelligence. This isn't even about that. You know, it's really about, it's about God's love for you. Give honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel. My garden and closed. 
that secure environment, she prospers. God helps her. And there are women here that the, the world, sometimes even from your own family, don't trust a man, don't trust anybody. You just want to make me barefoot and pregnant. No, no, no. God wants to protect you. And it only works when women understand that. There's some younger girls here. You have an attitude towards your father because your father's trying to protect you. And yet, that is an extension of God's love for you. When you say, you know what, I need that protection. That is not a bad thing, that is a good thing. You'll see, you'll be a lot better off. You know, men, this morning, sir, we have to protect the girls. Your role is not to intimidate your wife, push her around, threaten her, hit her, make her think you'll hit her to get your way. She needs to feel secure with you. She needs to believe, you know what, he's thinking about me before he even thinks about himself. But ultimately, sis, you're going to have to find that in God. Because he is a covering and shade and refuge and shelter this morning. Let's stand. I'm going to open these altars.